0: Hi, I'm Philippa Tolley, and welcome to the Long Read from Stuff. This week's story is called The Unchecked Power of Strip Clubs. It's by staff's Hannah McCallum, and she joins me now. Hi, Hannah. Kia ora. Thanks for
1: having me. What made you want to tell this particular story? So, after 19 of the Wellington Calendar Girls strip club dancers were fired over a Facebook post uh, for trying to ask for better pay, the sense of injustice really struck me and one of the things that came through from the get-go was the stigma and discrimination that they faced in the industry. I really felt that it was important to give them a platform to share their voice and share their experiences and really humanise this issue.
0: You got an amazing access to
1: this group of people. How did you manage that? It definitely took time to build a relationship and trust. I guess they had Hesitancy, understandably, around being in the public face. I think communicating what my intentions were clearly, letting them know that um, why I thought this kind of story was important to tell, specifically in the form of a feature. I think uh, really taking the time to listen to them and letting myself feel emotions as well—the anger and the upset—that I think my passion for the story came through and we were able to kind of be on the same page and tell the story together. So after you've been immersed in that world and spent
0: time with these women that work in, in this environment, you know what was your lasting impression about the industry and those who work in it? Because it's quite misunderstood often, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. It was really empowering and quite inspiring getting to know them and hearing them speak. I think the industry is completely misunderstood. People often think that, dancers are helpless or vulnerable and don't have any other work that they can do but it's actually a space where they feel or some of them feel empowered. I think everybody could do with some time in a girls room in a strip club. Um, I was also really inspired by their bravery to come forward and do what they've done. It's come at quite a big cost and a lot of them won't be able to go back to the industry but hopefully what they've done will they have a lasting impact and conditions in their work will improve. Thanks, Hannah. Now, here's Imogen
0: Wells reading Hannah's story.
2: The girls' room in a strip club is like a sports locker room, except with fewer boundaries. If someone feels self-conscious or uncomfortable, at least five dancers will scream across the room and gas them up, telling them they're a badass bitch or that they look hot. Some may help another insert their tampon, hiding their threads for them, while others will be completely nude, doing their makeup. Conversations about their sex life or laughing about what customers have done or said fill the room as women and gender diverse people from all walks of life gather to get ready for the night. For Renee, a former club dancer who wants only her first name used, the girls room provided a real sense of unity and solidarity, regardless of who you were. No topic was off limits behind the changing room doors. Stripping taught me feminism, she says. The girls' room taught me what the patriarchy was. Renee is one of 19 dancers recently fired from Calendar Girls in Wellington after 35 of them signed an email to collectively bargain for better work conditions. As independent contractors, dancers earn money through private dances and tips. They must give a percentage of their earnings to the venue, a percentage that has continued to increase over the years. A decade ago, it was 20% to the venue and 80% to the dancers. In the latest contract at Calendar Girls, it was more than 60% to the venue. The aggrieved workers formed the Fired Up Stilettos Collective and in the weeks since, dancers from across the motu have joined to lift the lid on what they say is exploitative and abusive behaviour by venue management. Renee describes herself as a real people pleaser before she entered the adult entertainment industry. She found it frustratingly hard to get ahead in Aotearoa after moving from Australia as a single mother. As rental prices went up, she was forced to move each year, juggling three jobs, just didn't cut it. But she says describing her as a survival sex worker with no choice but to join is a stereotype that has allowed harmful practices in venues to go unchallenged. Several dancers Stuff spoke to say they left their jobs in retail because they found it exploitative with long hours and low pay. Becoming a strip club dancer allowed Renee to pay her bills, spend more time with her children and graduate from university with an education and criminology degree. Stripping worked for her. Suzanne Manning, president of the National Council of Women New Zealand, says attitudes towards certain industries and stigma that arises are often gender-based. In her view, the power imbalances that exist between venue management and the contractors would not happen to the same extent in a male-dominated industry. Renee's partner Laura, like many others, has never been honest about her jobs on housing applications. She wasn't willing to risk adding another barrier when trying to find an adequate home in Wellington is already difficult. She says it's a defence mechanism. It's the conditions of being previously perceived as less than, not because of who you are as a worker, but because of how people feel about what you do. These are the conditions of just being tolerated in society, she says. As a queer person, joining the movement was like coming out of the closet for the second time. Laura, who also wants only her first name used, says it was empowering when she came out as a lesbian. But being a dancer or a sex worker was harder because it had far more widespread implications, not only for herself, but for her children. She says you have to weigh that up against living your authentic life and knowing yourself that there's nothing wrong with what you do, there's nothing wrong with who you are, and there's nothing invaluable about you as a person but other people think differently. Dr Lindsay Armstrong, a senior criminology lecturer at Victoria University of Wellington, says stigma has widespread effects across the sex work industry, including access to banking and health services and being silenced about their experiences. The decriminalisation of sex work in 2003, with the passing of the Prostitution Reform Act, the PRA, helped shift sex workers from being defined as deviant or a victim to people with rights. However, strippers are not specifically covered by the legislation and stereotypes have prevailed, Armstrong says. These include sex workers being lazy, desperate and uneducated. It's resulted in some, including management, thinking they could do whatever they want to sex workers, Armstrong says. While sex workers have a right to refuse to provide services, strip club dancers do not have access to specific workplace protection laws. On a normal night, dancers are expected to be ready on the floor by 7pm. 30 minutes or four hours can go by before the first customer arrives, and loitering in changing rooms for an unacceptable amount of time can result in a $200 fine. A perceived misuse of a cell phone is a $100 fine. Much of the shift is about expending energy at the right time to not burn out too early, keeping an eye on both the floor and on the stage to not miss your cue, because that would be a $250 fine. Performing can be the best part for some on the job. Dancing in lingerie that makes them feel good and to music they choose. At least, it was the case when Renee started. But now, management would put on set playlists that can include problematic, misogynistic songs and controls when they take their lingerie off. If they don't do it at the right time, they get another $250 fine. This is outlined in the 2023 contract, which has been seen by Stuff. When Renee joined the industry seven years ago, a customer crossing her boundaries and making her feel uncomfortable was enough to have a person kicked out and banned from the premises. Dancers now have to warn each other of dodgy patrons, quietly, to avoid risking walking out on a customer who has behaved inappropriately, $500 fine, or being deemed rude to customers by management $500 fine plus forfeiture of 50% of your tips. In one instance, Renee watched a fellow dancer get fired and screamed at by management in front of everyone after she warned a newer stripper of a returning customer who had several rape allegations against him, including by the dancer. In a statement, Calendar Girls did not respond directly to the allegations, but said it took the safety of staff very seriously. Allegations of inappropriate behaviour were investigated and lifetime bans from all premises imposed when necessary, it said. We take pride in the services that we provide our guests and the way in which we treat our
3: staff and contractors. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband.
1: That's me, I'm Dan, and we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret.
3: In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers? You don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending.
2: This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, it's just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby.
3: The human race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives... To create a life, I feel like I nearly missed out, and I got to do it, and so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz/slash/the-human-race, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate.
0: I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues.
3: You don't want to be held to account what, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime
0: statistics. No, I promised I wouldn't have tell you that gotcha journalism. Hang
3: into the national parties'
0: no, attack line
3: there. No, what, I think Chris, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction.
0: It, it, yeah, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing that's what we're in there on. that sits with you
2: perfectly. Fine. That's, what
3: we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And now back to the long read.
2: Employment lawyer Jack Rainbow says there's a big difference between contractors and employees, the latter having a lot more entitlements, such as annual and sick leave, and the ability to raise personal grievances with their employer. The employment law regime as a whole doesn't provide any protection to contractors, he says. The rationale is that contractors are usually a more transient workforce with more flexibility in terms of how, when and where they work. Contractors can take a case to the employment court if they believe they've been treated as employees without the entitlements of an employee, like the recent case with Uber drivers. However, every challenge is based on individual circumstances, Rainbow says. Just because it happened or didn't happen for a dancer in the past, doesn't mean it won't happen for a dancer in the future. In 2018, an ERA ruling determined that a former Christchurch stripper who claimed they were unjustifiably dismissed was a contractor, not an employee. The complaint exposed a strict set of rules and an extensive fine system for breaches. Jack Rainbow says the line between which category you fall into is not always easily defined, so that adds a layer of complexity for everyone involved. A spokesperson for Workplace Relations and Safety Minister Michael Woods says contractor reform has been placed on hold until the outcome of the Uber case appeal is known. Rainbow says public consultation is a good chance to clarify what contractor rights could look like, including considering a third classification for people who fall between contractors and employees to provide more protection. It was previously proposed by the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment in its Better Protections for Contractors discussion paper in 2019. Green MP Jan Logie says finding strip club dancers raises significant concerns for their safety. She invited dancers and sex workers to speak at Parliament about the conditions on the ground for independent contractors and was disturbed by what she heard of the unchecked power of the venues. Logie says they're acting as if there's no consequences and nobody's watching. And if the dancers raise concerns, then they move them on. Armstrong says stigma and stereotypes around the sex work industry extended to access to justice for survivors of sexual violence, which was already a significant issue, irrespective of people's jobs. When people believe sex workers are selling their bodies, it has an impact on how experiences of sexual assault are responded to. Julia, not her real name, a member of the Fired Up Stilettos Collective, believes her right to a fair trial was taken from her after she was sexually assaulted by a man while working at a Dunedin strip club in 2019. Working as a contractor at Stilettos Review Bar helped manage her ADHD, and performing as a dancer complemented her degree in arts, film media and theatre. It is every stripper's worst fear to be assaulted, she says. And it happened to me. That man laughed at my face as I was screaming for him to get off me. He had no remorse. He did not care about me at all. He didn't see a human. He just saw an object. A body. Julia blames the club for having only one security guard on duty. The bouncer eventually heard her screaming and intervened. Stiletto's review bar did not respond to requests for comment. In the Dunedin District Court, the man's counsel, John Munro, said, there's a degree of consent to touching in that environment. The sentencing trial was somehow more traumatising than the actual assault, Julia says. The man was convicted of indecent assault, given a first-strike warning, and sentenced to six weeks community detention, six months supervision, and ordered to pay Julia Two thousand dollars," she said. She was urged to allow the man to plead to a lesser charge. She says she was told the jury would take one look at my line of work and think I'm unworthy of justice because I'm a stripper, and they would side with him. Julia was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Left her job, was on a benefit, and eventually moved to Auckland. My life was ruined because of that man, and I will never be the person I was before he entered my life, she says. Her time as a dancer ended after she worked two separate stints at Auckland's Showgirls, a club notorious among dancers and known for its strict fines. She took a $200 hit when she didn't turn up to a shift because she was experiencing a PTSD episode from the assault. Showgirls did not respond to requests for comment. Julia says, they profited off my trauma. That was the last straw for me. She spoke at Parliament earlier this month and says it was empowering to be part of the movement and a collective of strippers. Julia remains hopeful she can return to the industry, saying, I have faith it can return to what the stripping industry is meant to be, autonomous, independent and self-sovereignty. I crave that and I need that and I miss that. Renee thought it was a joke when she was first fired from Calendar Girls in Wellington. Reading through the list of those who were also sacked, she notes many are experienced and long-standing dancers. To me, it was very calculated to leave the most vulnerable group possible, she says. Anger, grief and fear filled Renee and Laura's lounge when they invited the other fired dancers for a meeting. It wasn't the girls' room but they shared kai, and once again, they got together. Speaking with Logie was a contrast to what management had told the dancers for so long that nobody would care if they spoke up. Renee told the group the issue wasn't just about their group, but to end the coercion faced by sex workers across the country. She believes it was the first step to breaking the cycle of abuse. Logie says it was becoming increasingly apparent that a legislative solution is the way forward, but what exactly is unclear. In a petition submitted after the parliament meeting, the group requested the right to bargain collectively while maintaining an independent contract status, outlawing all fines and bonds between employers and contractors and establishing a nationwide mandatory maximum of 20% that an employer can take from a contractor's profits. At one of the fired-up Stiletto's protests in Wellington's Te Arou Park, Emma, which isn't her real name, quietly sat in a corner, nervously eating a bag of popcorn, as she watched her friends display strength, courage and grace on polls set up outside Calendar Girls. Her time as a strip club dancer ended years ago, but she's still haunted by the management. She says she was a victim to horrible, wacko psychological games, and it took her time after quitting to realise she did not have to present herself in a way that was most marketable and profitable. Even choosing to buy normal underwear and bras felt strange. The extent of the abuse of being yelled at, name-called, fat-shamed and gaslit, targeted individually as a way to divide and conquer the dancers only became clear after leaving Emma says. But despite the divisive management, she recalls moments where she would quietly ignore her customer for a moment, to admire the strength and grace of another dancer on stage. Seeing them take the opportunity to start a movement is unimaginably vindicating and healing, she says. She could see her old manager from across the road, but through crowds of public support. It's been crazy to realise that this experience that I had wasn't just a personal failing or a moral failing, like the manipulation of calendar girls made it out to be. It's just abuse and exploitation, plain and simple. I don't care how it happens, she says, I just want it to end.
0: That was The Unchecked Power of Strip Clubs on the Long Read from Stuff, written by Hannah McCallum, read by Imogen Wells and produced by Jono Williams. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you liked what you heard, please do give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō. If you like this podcast,
2: please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz/support.